This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Come to scripture reading for today and reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1, uh, 12 to 19. Give you a moment to grab your Bibles or to turn on your app. And if you like, you may follow projection on the screen as well. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind, any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will, hap- what will, be the out- what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator, Continue to do good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite Pastor Andrew now to come share with us the sermon for today. Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, just uh, sorry for the technical issues this morning. Am I too loud? Hey, let's go to God in prayer now as we prepare our hearts to hear from His word. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we just pray that you may put aside our distractions, and as we have read in today's passage, that your spirit may truly be working in our hearts so that we may respond, not just with our minds, but also of our hearts, and not just of our hearts, but also with our will. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, there is a saying uh, that, uh, that many Christians have. There's a Christian saying which says, what is taken for granted in one generation is assumed in the following generation, and denied in the third generation. So I'm not sure if you heard this before. What is taken for granted in one generation is assumed in the next generation and denied in the third generation. And so I think as we look at churches today, as we look at the Christian scene, one of the things that we do really well in churches, which I think is really important, is we really focus on evangelism. And so even our own church, we do courses on Christianity Explored, We do courses on uh, Life Explored. And in many other churches around Singapore, they also do Alpha Course. And I think that's wonderful because out of love, we really do want our friends, our relatives, our neighbors to know about Jesus, to know about the forgiveness found in Jesus, to know about the good news of Jesus dying on the cross for them so that they may receive salvation and eternal life. But I think the one thing that perhaps churches take for granted nowadays is this idea of Christian living. Christian living. So you might ask yourself, what is Christian living? 
And indeed, if we have to ask ourselves, what is Christian living, then there is a danger in which we have taken Christian living for granted. And so some people think that Christian living is about being prosperous or being uh, blessed. Some other people, Christian living may be being fulfilled and being happy. But the very danger for us is that if we haven't thought through and really explored and uh, really understood what Christian living is, then the danger is that we ourselves may be losing this in the next generation and denying it in the generation to come. So today's passage, as we look at today's passage, okay, as we look at today's passage, uh, you can actually see that it's about Christian living. And so this fall, it's really important for us to pay attention to what is being said today. So let me read verse 12 to us. So verse 12 says and begins by going, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So the first thing that we read here is this very strong command, which is, do not be surprised. This is a command, this is a directive, this is an order not to be surprised when they receive trials and sufferings. Now, this was written to the context of an audience in the first century, written to Asia Minor, what is today modern Turkey. And perhaps Christians in those days were surprised that they were experiencing suffering in their Christian living. Now, it says here that they were experiencing something called a fiery ordeal. Now, in different translations, it could be uh, a, you know, a fiery trial, something that was very agonizing. Literally, the words there translated means those among you burning, right? Those among you who are burning. Now, we don't know whether it's a literal or a figurative you know, figure of speech. But we do know that in 64 AD, uh, Nero began the first series of persecutions against Christians in Rome where churches were burnt and literally Christians were being set on fire and being used as torture. So whether Peter or God had in mind this sort of fiery ordeal, a fiery trial, or whether he had in mind just a general figurative sense of an agonizing suffering and intense persecution, uh, we don't really know. But what comes here is that they are not to be surprised when this intense persecution, intense suffering comes upon them. It goes on to say that they are not, sorry, they're not, go, they're not meant to be surprised as if something strange were happening to them. Now, it's not as if something strange were happening to them because we who follow Jesus Christ should expect to be treated as Jesus was treated when he came into this world. And as we see in this passage here, Jesus had already warned the disciples, all men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, or son of Satan, how much more the members of his household? And again, in John chapter 15, Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind 
that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And so here, as we look at the very first sentence, I suppose, of the passage that we're looking at today, we see the reality of Christian living must have some element of persecution, suffering, because just as Jesus was persecuted and suffered persecution, so we who follow Jesus must also experience the same thing. And so we shouldn't be surprised, we shouldn't think it strange. So as a Christian here today, are you prepared? Do you think it's strange? Will you be surprised if you suffer as a Christian? Because the day is already here, if it is not fast approaching, where to be named as a Christian and to hold the values of a Christian, the world and people around you will think of you as bizarre, as weird, as strange. And to really today, or not today, then the day is also fast approaching where when people see you and you hold the name of Christ and Christian values, people will look at you and think of you as unloving, anti-love, bigoted, evil, ignorant, narrow-minded, a hater, someone who is phobic. So someone told me a couple of years ago that... Um, there was uh, someone who was going around Singapore telling people that, uh, you know this guy, Andrew Ong? He's an MCP. And I was like, oh, what's an MCP? You know, I'm not very sure. A male chauvinist pig. Right, so there were people going around Singapore saying, oh, you know, Pastor Andrew, he's a male chauvinist pig. And the reason why was because I was preaching uh, what the Bible was teaching about male and female relationships in church as well as in marriage. And I think that's the reality as Christians, uh, our view of sexuality, of gender, of marriage, of morality, on abortion, on ethics, would be countercultural. And because they are countercultural, we would expect that people would, would, would insult us or would say bad things about us or would reject us. But we should not think it's strange. We should not be surprised because that is the way Jesus was treated when he was alive. And so we are participating in the sufferings of Jesus as we follow the footsteps of Jesus. The passage then goes on to say in verse 12, but, but rejoice, right? Another command, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And so here we see that as we look at this passage, one of the themes of this passage that we're looking at is this contrast between now, the present, and the future. Now, the present, compared to the future. So rejoice now as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that, right, in the future, you may be overjoyed when Jesus' glory is revealed. Now here I've uh, put to you this diagram, which I think is quite helpful. And 
This diagram basically shows that we rejoice, we can rejoice as much as it seems strange to rejoice in sufferings because we, we experience the sufferings of Christ and we know that in the future we will be overjoyed when Jesus comes in his glory and we share in that glory with Jesus when he comes. We can rejoice now because in the future we will be overjoyed when we see Jesus come and we share in his glory. So one of the things that, um, again, we said, you know, in one generation we take, a, we take for granted, the next generation is assumed, and then the next generation it is denied. And one of those other things that I feel that we perhaps take for granted is this topic of uh, eschatology. Okay, eschatology is the idea of the end times. And I think that in the, in the Bible, as we're looking at today's passage in 1 Peter, there's very much a contrast between now and eschatology. Now and the end times. Because that's what is in view in this passage. So Peter is saying we rejoice now because in the eschaton, in the end times, we will be overjoyed when Jesus comes and we share in his glory. So imagine today, right, uh, somehow in a, in a hypothetical situation, a terrorist were to come into our midst right here, right now. And then he's holding a gun or a knife or something, and he says, you know, who here holds the name of Jesus Christ? Who here claims to be a Christian? Put up your hands. Would you be willing to put up your hand to say that you hold the name of Jesus Christ, that you are a follower of Jesus, knowing that you would probably be taken hostage and possibly die? You would only do that if your conviction of the reality of what is going to happen in the eschaton or what is going to happen in the end time is very real to you, isn't it? If you are convinced in your heart that at the very end, the, the, the eschaton at the end time, you will receive this glory with Jesus when he comes, you will be overjoyed. That would be the only reason why you would put up your hands at this very moment in front of the terrorists and say, yes, I'm willing to die and I'm willing to suffer for Jesus. And so in this very first section, it tells us that for Christian living, there must be a component of suffering that will come to us at some point or other and don't be surprised, but rejoice now because you will be overjoyed when the glory of Jesus comes. The second section uh, then goes on to say, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now here again, I want to look at the logic of what the Bible is saying. And the logic is pretty straightforward. If you are insulted, oops, sorry, if you are insulted, right, you are blessed for the glory, so for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Right? If you are insulted, it is because of the name of Jesus, and because you have the name of Jesus, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, what this really means is that being a Christian, our identity as a Christian, and our behavior as a Christian 
is not so much coming from within ourselves, right? Being a Christian, accepting the death of Jesus as a, our lamb, being part of the household of God, and our behavior as Christians, dying to sin and living for righteousness, doesn't come from ourselves, but really it comes because the Spirit of God rests upon us. And so what this passage is really saying, here okay, I'll do my special effects, right? What this passage is really saying is that when people insult you, they are insulting you because they recognize the Spirit of God working in you. That's what this passage is saying, right? It is saying, oh, okay, a bit distracting. Okay. Okay, it's saying that, that the Spirit is what the world recognizes is, is operating in you. And that's why they can see in you the name of Jesus. If the world passes you by, right, if the insults of the world and the suffering of the world and the persecution of the world passes you by and goes over you, it is probably because the Spirit of God is not resting in you and it is not reflecting the name of Jesus in your behavior and in your being. So actually, a, a more accurate uh, translation, I think, of this passage, if I go back again, uh, a more accurate uh, Translation of this passage, if I was looking at my, my language lexicon correctly, is that you are blessed for the Spirit and the glory of God not just rests on you, but continues to rest on you, continues to be working in you, continues to be in you. And that is why the world insults you. Because that Spirit of God is operating in you and so you are clearly testifying to the world that you are a Christian, that you belong to Christ. And therefore, it is a blessing. Right? When the world insults you, it is a blessing because it shows that the Spirit of God is working in you, in your behavior, and in your declaration of Jesus Christ. But I think there's something more as well. Because if you notice, oops, sorry. If you notice, it actually describes, okay, go through this. It actually describes the Spirit as the Spirit of glory. Okay, the Spirit of glory. That's a bit interesting, right? Why doesn't it describe the Spirit as the Spirit of wisdom, uh, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of knowledge? Because the Holy Spirit does fulfill all these roles as well. It gives us understanding, wisdom, helps us to understand God's word. Why the Spirit of glory. The reason why is because it links back to the glory that will be revealed when Jesus comes. And so what the spirit of glory really is showing us, that not only does the spirit help us to live a full Christian life in full view of the world resulting in insults, but the, the Holy Spirit as well is like a deposit which in a sense today assures us of the glory that we will receive in the future when Jesus comes. And so, what do we learn here? Christian living is about sometimes being insulted, but this is a blessing. It shows that the Holy Spirit is actively resting in you, and this Holy Spirit, in a sense, is a 
present reflection of the glory that you will receive when Jesus comes again. Now the passage then goes on in verse um, 15 onwards. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now, there is a contrast here between being a criminal and being a Christian. If you suffer as a criminal, then you are rightly ashamed, right? You know, if, you're, if, you're, if you suffer as a murderer or a thief, you should be ashamed. But as a Christian, well, why should we be ashamed? And I think part of this is, is that we don't quite understand perhaps the context of what is really being said here. So today in the world that we live in, I think maybe the name Christian has been a very respectable name for many, many generations and centuries. But today, the name Christian is going back, in a sense, to its original understanding back in the first century. So the word here, Christian, is really only used three times in the Bible here and in the book of Acts. And the context, I think, of Christian, the name Christian, in the first century is that when people call you a Christian, it is not a, a word or a description or a category which is positive, but rather it is a description which is negative. It is a word of contempt, a word of abuse, a word of offense. So to be called a Christian in the first century was a name of dishonor, almost like a criminal. Right? Christian and criminal maybe not so far apart. It was something to be dishonorable, something to be ashamed about. So here I want to um, share with you what was written by this very famous Roman historian called Tacitus. Sorry, it's a bit small, but I had to squeeze it all in. And you could see how Tacitus, who is a Roman, describes Christians and the negativity and the dishonor and shame associated with this word or this category of Christian. Okay, so he says, therefore... To stop the rumor that Nero had set Rome on fire, he, the Emperor Nero, falsely charged with guilt and punished with the most fearful tortures the persons commonly called Christians, who were generally hated for their enormities. Christus, the founder of that name, was put to death as a criminal by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the realm of Tiberias. But the pernicious superstition repressed for a time, broke out yet again, not only in Judea, where the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also, whither all things horrible and disgraceful flow from all quarters as to a common receptacle and where they are encouraged. Accordingly, first those who, uh, those who were arrested who confessed they were Christians, next on their information, a vast multitude were convicted not so much on the charge of burning the city, but as of hating the human race. And so you can see here from the description of Tacitus how um, it's very clear that the name Christian is a word which is reviled, right? They were hated for their enormities. Uh, they were a pernicious, oops, pernicious superstition. Oh, how come it doesn't work anymore? Pernicious superstition. They were mischief, where they were horrible, they were disgraceful, 
and they were haters of the human race. So here, you can see that being a Christian in Roman society was something which was shameful. But here Peter says, do not be ashamed to be called a Christian. Do not be ashamed to be called a Christian, but praise God. And I think that we will be living a time pretty soon where to be called Christian is something where you may feel shame in society. But do not be ashamed to be called Christian, but to be praise God because you're called Christian. So last uh, Sunday after church, I went to um, a relative's house of visitation and uh, we were having a very uh, interesting conversation. It got a bit intense partway through. And this older relative uh, said that they no longer go to church. And they said part of the reason was because they disagreed that the church did not want to marry uh, practicing homosexual couples. And uh, this older relative was saying to me, you know, it's very unfair and very unloving because, you know, these people are born this way and there's so many of them now. And so the church should be loving and should, they, should, they should marry these practicing homosexual couples. So here I was enjoying my pineapple tart. You know, I could feel the pineapple tart getting stuck in my throat, you know. And uh, what should I say when my older relative says this? Should I say, yeah, 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 you know, I, I think you've got a point there. Oh, would I be willing to say, well, you know, I think respectfully that you are wrong, right? That I am a Christian and I believe that the, the Bible's view of marriage is that it should be between a man and a woman, right? Would I be willing to be ashamed of the name Christian or would I be willing to actually stand by what Christ in the Bible says? Now, the passage then goes on in verse 17 onwards. And it says, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will, be, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now the first thing I want uh, to point out here as we look at this passage is this very, very important phrase here, the phrase for, right? For. And so verse 17 to verse 18 is trying to explain uh, what is happening in verse 12 to verse 16. So verse 17, for or because, is explaining the suffering that is being experienced in verse 12 to 16, this fiery ordeal, right? Why is this fiery ordeal happening? What is the reason that God is letting it come to pass. And the reason that God gives is because it is a time. It's a time for judgment to begin with God's household. God's household. Now, I think that as we, as we understand this passage uh, within the context of the, the whole book of 1 Peter, we already saw that earlier on in 1 Peter, uh, it was described in chapter 1, uh, where it says in chapter 1, verse 6 to 7, In all this, you greatly rejoice. Sounds familiar, right? You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, 
of greater worth than gold, which purifies, sorry, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so here, when it talks about the time of judgment coming on the household of God, it's not talking about condemning judgment, I think, but it's actually talking about a purifying, uh, cleansing sort of judgment where the genuineness of their faith may be refined by the fire of these griefs and trials. And so what we're seeing here is not the condemning judgment with the expectation that the household of God will all be judged and condemned. But these trials, these fiery trials and ordeals that the church is experiencing, is God actually, in a sense, purifying and and, and proving and cleansing the genuineness of their faith. And so therefore, if we look again at this diagram that I I, I, put together, which I I hope you find helpful, is that this purifying, refining uh, judgment actually prepares God's people uh, to be overjoyed and to prepare God's people for the coming of the glory of Jesus Christ. And there's another part where it goes on in verse 18, right? Okay, so it begins here, for, right? It is the time of judgment. And then so in verse 18, it continues on this idea of the time of judgment and it says, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, this phrase here, it is hard for the righteous to be saved. It's not saying that um, the righteous here are working, right, in a sense, working with their own good works or their own righteousness in order to be saved. Because if you look at the passage very clearly, it already says that they are God's household, they belong to God's household already, and they are already righteous. So they are God's household, they are righteous, and we've learned earlier on in 1 Peter, not because of their own works, but because Jesus Christ died once for all, for the righteous, for the unrighteous. But it is hard for God's household, it is hard for the righteous, in the sense where it is not a bed of roses, it is not easy, but it is difficult, the journey to salvation. And coming back to the context of verse 12 to 16, indeed it is hard because here these Christians were suffering fiery trials, intense agony in their journey as God's household, as the righteous, to be saved. Now, we see the same idea in uh, the book of Hebrews where it talks about how we need to endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his son. So hardship, uh, the, the journey of the righteous, the journey of God's household towards salvation is a difficult one because they experience persecution, they experience suffering, they experience insults, they experience a fiery ordeal. But what uh, this passage is trying to say is that, ooh, go back here, again coming back to verse 18, It's saying that if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, there's a comparison to those who are ungodly and the sinner who do not obey the gospel of God. And so there's a comparative between the difficulty of the fiery ordeal now compared to what is going to happen 
at the end, right? Again, at the eschaton. What's going to happen at the end times? So, if you look at this diagram here, I think it explains it better. This purifying, refining judgment is altogether more preferable than the end times condemning judgment and the suffering of hell. That's what, that's what is in view here. There is, a, there is a, in a sense, a comparison between what is happening now in the present compared to the eschaton, the end times. Better you, you are being refined in this judgment by God and face this fiery ordeal because this end times condemnation judgment is much, much worse. So, as an illustration, I was thinking to myself, you know, the idea of vaccination. So, uh, a couple of years back after studying in Australia, I used to get very sick in wintertime in Australia. I started taking regular flu vaccinations. And so, whenever I get my flu vaccination for a day or two, I'll feel terrible, I'll feel really bad, body aches, maybe a mild fever. But the alternative is better than the flu itself, right? I, I suffer now with my vaccination rather than potentially in the future, I get a really bad flu and I'll take antibiotics, my nose is runny, you know, I get fever and body aches for a whole week or two. And so, somebody was uh, telling me over the last few days, I think they're here today, about how they got the COVID vaccination, the Pfizer vaccination, and how they also got body aches and they also have fever. But you suffer now in a sense, rather than if you get COVID and you suffer the same things for, for much longer and effect you might actually end up dying, right? So better to suffer this short, milder suffering rather than in the future suffer this permanent, much, much worse suffering. And that's what God is saying. He's saying better to be in the house of God, to be the righteous in this difficult journey of purifying judgment, which is infinitely better than the end time condemning judgment and the eternal suffering of hell. And then, he then goes to the last verse, in verse 19, which says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Again, very important to see this linking word, so then, right? So then. And so, this is summing up everything we've learned from verse 12 to 17. So then, it says, those who suffer according to God's will. And what he's saying is the suffering that the Christians experienced then, the sufferings that we experience now, are not something which is outside of God's control. God has brought the suffering upon his people as the household of God, as part of his purifying judgment beginning with us. And those who suffer according to God's will, therefore, should commit themselves to their faithful creator. The word here, commit, literally is to entrust yourself, it is to put yourself in God's hands. Yes, we suffer, we, we are in pain, we are in grief, but we entrust ourselves into God's hands because He is the powerful creator and He knows how to watch over us and care for us right to the very end. And we are, it says, to continue to do good. And so as we come to the very end of this passage, what is the instruction here on Christian living? It tells us that Christian living must have an expectation of suffering. 
If we suffer, don't be surprised, but rejoice now because we will be overjoyed when glory comes with Jesus. If you're insulted, you are blessed because the Spirit of God is actually making you, you know, visible to the world that you are truly, truly having the name of Jesus and behaving Christ-like. And because you have the spirit of glory, when Jesus' glory comes, you will receive that glory. And when you suffer, do not be ashamed, but praise God for His purifying judgment begins with God's people. So in conclusion, whenever we prepare for any serious endeavor, we need to be mentally prepared. We need to, be, we need to anticipate hardship. Right? Nobody begins... Uh, running a marathon by waking up one morning and deciding, okay, I'm going I'm to start, I'm going to run a marathon right this very morning, right? And, uh, and then start running and then get surprised by how hard it is. You don't just wake up one morning and say, okay, I'm going to do my three-hour exam without actually being mentally prepared for how difficult it will be and how much effort you have to put into it. In the same way, if you, you know, you're doing a master's paper or thesis, you don't just sort of wake up and you say, okay, I'm just going to do it. You need to be prepared and not be surprised at the effort it's going to take. And the same thing for the Christian life, for Christian living. We need to be prepared and not be surprised or think it's strange that it will be a difficult journey, that it will be hard. So I do remember many, many years ago, there was a, a girl that, uh, that was in, you know, in my church in, in Australia, in the university, and she'd been a Christian for a year and she'd gone back for holidays, back to, back to Malaysia. And when she came back the following year, she said that she didn't want to be a Christian anymore. And uh, she said that she, you know, she had suffering from her parents, her relatives, and her friends for being a Christian. And uh, we tried to talk to her, and she said, oh, don't talk to me anymore, and I don't hear anymore about the Bible because it's too much trouble. I always remember that phrase. It's too much trouble, right, to be a Christian. And that's why I feel that she didn't really understand Christian living according to the Bible. That indeed, to live as a Christian, Christian living brings trouble into your life. It is trouble. There will be trouble because you're a Christian. It won't be a bit of roses. But the Bible tells us here that this trouble, this suffering, this fiery ordeal is something that we must expect, that we must go through, we must go through and can actually rejoice and recognize that we are blessed and we can praise God for. So uh, I've got some reflection questions for those of you who have been in the breakout groups in the, on Zoom. Here they are. But let's go to God in prayer now. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to ask you to help us to understand the Christian life that the Christian life will involve suffering. If Jesus Christ suffered, how can we, his students and his servants, not expect to suffer just like our teacher and our master? Dear Father, when we suffer, we pray that indeed we will look to the end times and to see that in comparison, our suffering here is much more preferable to the condemning judgment that comes upon those who do not persevere in Christ. Dear Father, when we are insulted, help us to see that it's because the Holy Spirit is actively, continually at work in us. 
And this Holy Spirit is the Spirit of glory, which assures us that when Jesus comes, we too will receive that glory and be overjoyed. And dear Father, when we suffer, help us not to be surprised, but to realize that, that this is normal and to rejoice because of the glory that will come to us. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.